The Scoop Podcast is brought to you by Spherix Fungicide from BASL, helping wheat and barley farmers save the season. With two proven active ingredients, Spherix Fungicide delivers more powerful head scab control to finally bring down Dawn. And welcome to the Scoop Podcast. I'm editor of the Scoop, Margie Echol Camp, joined today by Richard Gupton. He is Senior Vice President of Public Policy and Counsel at the Agricultural Retailers Association. Richard, welcome back to the podcast. Yes, always great to be with you, Margie. So Richard, we uh, often have these conversations where we give some regulatory updates, some policy updates. What's most important for ag retailers to know and be thinking about right now? We have definitely had a lot of developments here in the first month and a half of 2024. Let's first kick off on, on two recent House committee hearings that have been had. One's related to the Snake River dams. Let's talk first about that. Yeah. Well, the House Energy and Commerce Subcommittee uh, held a hearing on the Snake River dams and their um, and the potential impact it would have if those were removed. Uh, they're vital for the agricultural industry and those rural communities, not only for renewable energy, for irrigation, but also for uh, traffic to move barges to move uh, uh, agricultural products. So it's they're critical in the Pacific Northwest and in Washington State. This hearing to examine the impact those those potentially could have. The positive thing is a lot of the industry groups weighed in, um, and submitted comments to that to, about the importance of those dams to the uh, industry in those communities, and the the Biden administration official with the Council on Environmental Quality admitted that they need congressional authorization to remove those dams if that ever occurred. And and what what's the issue? The issue is some of the Native uh, American tribes in that area and activists have, have uh, sued trying to get the removal of those dams to protect um, uh, endangered salmon. Uh, they, they're blaming those dams for the decline in the salmon population, uh, which is, you know, still uh, look at studies could be in dispute. Um, but the uh, judge just ruled recently to Put this off after negotiations for five years, any kind of court ruling. Um, the Biden administration has agreed to put in a billion dollars to try to address this issue without removal of the dams. So there's a little bit of a breathing time to try to address it. The problem has been the uh, the power companies and private sector have really been left out of any of these uh, plans and, and uh in, in the negotiations. So hopefully as over these next five years, they're more integrally involved on a solution that does not uh, include the recommended removal of those dams, again, which Congress has to um, approve if that ever occurs and we're hopeful it does not. So we, we submitted a letter to the, to the um, House uh, committee urging them to uh, support the uh, keeping those dams in place. Richard, there's also been some House committee hearings regarding water, water infrastructure, pesticide application. What's the update there? Yeah, the House Transportation Infrastructure Committee uh, last week had a my vote or what they call a markup of several Clean Water Act permitting reform bills. One of those was uh, H.R. 5089 called the Reducing Regulatory Burdens Act sponsored by Congressman David Rouser, Republican of North Carolina. He's the 
subcommittee chairman with jurisdiction over the Clean Water Act. And that legislation would eliminate the National Pollution Discharge Elimination System Pesticide General Permit. Um, it's a permit that it was required after a 2009 National Count Cotton Council court ruling, where if you're doing an application of pesticides at, on, or near waterways, these are aquatic pesticides, uh, then you have to get this permit. There's no environmental assessment to get the permit. Uh, but the issue, it relates to additional record keeping, which is costly. So you may have to have a dedicated person to do that record keeping and the liability, because then if it's a Clean Water Act issue and rather than a FIFRA issue where it's regulated pesticides, you could get sued by uh, um, by some kind of activist group. So we saw a lawsuit uh, in Ohio with the Toledo uh, Mosquito Control District. They were sued for paperwork violations. Uh, they spent tens of thousands of dollars in that litigation in federal court, and it's dollars that took away from dealing with mosquito control and protecting human health. So this bill that passed out of the Transportation Committee in the House, um, we're hopeful will be part of the Farm Bill, um, and uh, it was in the part of the 2018 House Farm Bill. And basically, if that if that requirement's removed then anybody doing an application of these aquatic pesticides were, again, specifically approved for that purpose by EPA after they've done an assessment of the any adverse impact on the waterway, human health, and uh, wildlife, endangered species. All of that had done before they're approved for, for, uh, for use. And as long as the applicator is following the uh, EPA FIFRA-approved label and keeping their records, if you're a commercial applicator, you should not have to uh, get this permit. So we're hopeful finally this can get done. It's been uh, dealing with uh, over a decade. And the problem is this, the 2026 proposal for this permit could be even expanded further because of ongoing litigation dealing with Endangered Species Act, where they're having to have additional costs for water monitoring, um, as well as joint and several liability with the applicator applying these products. So there's a whole host of issues of why this permit needs to get eliminated. So Richard, you brought up um, this trend that we're seeing as far as product registrations and freedom to operate being impacted by federal court activities and ongoing litigation issues. Notably here in the beginning of February, we got news out of one of our Arizona courts that vacates the EPA registrations for over the top dicamba application. What's the update on that? What do ag retailers need to know about this 24 growing season? Yeah, we're very disappointed in the decision. Obviously, it what it does is it vacated when the court issued the order, it vacated the registrations for for the for those dicamba products you you mentioned. And it was a nationwide. So once that court order was issued, the registrations go away. So you can't sell, use, uh, use that product uh, legally. Um, which is a big problem because this is just before the busy spring season. Uh, farmers working with their retailers have already made the decisions about seeds for crops. They've already made decisions uh, about pesticide products as well. And so it puts the, and this impacts millions of acres of soybeans and cotton. So it puts the industry in a major bind. There are no alternative products that would be available, you you know, even if there was feasible, you would have to ramp up production, which would take months and, and not be in time for the season. And so what we've, we've sent a letter to yesterday 
to the EPA urging one an immediate appeal of that court Arizona court federal court decision uh, and seeking a stay of that order pending appeal. Secondly, we um, and this was litigation several years back on this issue, but it was later in the in the application season. So we've asked for a as broad as flexible as existing stocks provision as possible, which would allow for any product within the channels of trade to continue to be uh, stored, sold, and used. Uh, and we're including on our ask any product that has been manufactured um, that may have still be at the registrant's facilities but hasn't been shipped out of their facilities to include those. Um, and if that if there's not enough product to meet the needs, uh, the third step we've asked EPA to look at is an emergency use label so you, additional product could be manufactured to try to fill any gaps Again, if if determined, that would be an issue later on in the year. So that's the steps we're taking. Again, this is we're disappointed because this is a federal court based in Arizona. It's within the Ninth Circuit. They were the ones involved in the last decision, and it's a national it has national impact. Uh, to me, again, there's got to be some court reform as well. With if you're making a decision that that we disagree with, it should only stay within the footprint of that federal district court and their circuit and and not beyond that but that's where the kind of the world we live in today so the team at ara you guys were really responsive as soon as this court decision came down we're recording this podcast the same episode or the same week as the court decision so maybe a, a tough question to answer richard but you guys have asked epa for those provisions for this growing season when might you hear a response as far as what's possible we're hopeful sooner, obviously, rather than later, because of all this uncertainty. And uh, I know the American Soybean Association has also weighed in with EPA and other administration officials at USDA and the White House. Um, also, as the National Cotton Council, I think others are doing the same. And so we're hopeful they can uh, issue something as early as next week. Um, if they wait too long, again, there's going to be a lot of... Uh, disruption to the industry. Again, as we're right, right when we're getting into the busy spring season. Um, so no time is a good time for these kind of, as we view flawed court decisions that takes the decision making out of the science and what EPA is doing. Uh, but we're hopeful EPA will be responsive um, and, and, you know, hopefully the, the, the steps we've taken make the most sense and they can, it can take some immediate action to try to address that. And, and be as least disruptive as possible to industry. All right, Richard, we have at least a couple more things we wanna to touch on, but right now we're gonna take a break and listen to this message from our sponsor. For today's industry spotlight, we have Kim Tudor, Technical Marketing Manager at BASF. Kim, tell me a little bit about planting date and the impact it can have on wheat crop establishment. Hi, good morning. Yes, the planting date is very important with regards to wheat production. As most wheat growers know, generally speaking, the earlier, the better. Uh, that way you can optimize the amount of tillers that you have with the end goal being two to three tillers per plant. Excellent. So Kim, also talk a little bit about how you recommend growers determine their disease control strategy this season to help maximize yield. 
Yeah, so one of those diseases in particular with regards to wheat that comes to mind is Fusarium head blight, also known as head scab. And head scab is a problem because it actually creates these mycotoxins, one of which is abbreviated DON. DON is a problem because it can actually have adverse health effects on both animals and humans. So the FDA actually implemented a limit on those DON levels, in particular with regards to cereals that are used for both baking and malting. And that level is actually really low. It's one to two parts per million. So if you take your grain to the elevator and you've got levels, they test for it and it's above that threshold, you can actually see an impact um, and a dockage of 50 cents up to $2 a bushel. So again, um, that potential quality impact can really affect your bottom line. And Kim, how can a product like BASF's new Spherix fungicide help achieve the greatest reduction in disease and DON levels? So Spherix fungicide contains two of the most proven active ingredients for controlling DON. It's metconazole and prothioconazole. And our trials and studies have shown that when applying Spherix uh, to your wheat crop, you're able to keep those thresholds um, below that one to two part per million 90% of the time. The other thing that's important to point out about Spherix is its rain fastness. So other products can take up to two hours, whereas Spherix is rain fast in as little as 15 minutes. And Kim, if folks want to learn more, where would you direct them? They can visit with their local BASF representative or agriculture.basf.us. And that is Kim Tudor, Technical Marketing Manager at BASF. Always read and follow label instructions. And we're back on the Scoop Podcast with Richard Gupton from the Agricultural Retailers Association. So Richard, we've talked a lot about some of the developments coming out of our federal court system. One ongoing EPA regulatory uh, provision that's been battled in the court was around chlorpyrifos treated seed and there's still some updates there. So what can you share? That's right. Um, well, on the treated seed issue, it's the same group, the Center for Biological Diversity has sued uh, they, they're, they sued again, actually, on the treated seed issue. Uh, they sued in the Ninth Circuit going back several years, the Anderson seed uh, case. They lost that case against EPA. Um, then they filed another petition with EPA about making sure that treated seed or, or have to be registered as a pesticide uh, under FIFRA, which would cause you know major problems for ag retailers and their customers. A lot of ag retailers uh, treat seed as kind of custom prescription, depending on the crop and where you're located to meet the needs of their former customers. And you're having to uh, register all those and, and be treated as a pesticide manufacturer when you're doing that would cause, again, major costs and regulatory burdens on the retail sector and adversely impact their former customers. So EPA um, has uh, issued a, what they call an announced notice of proposed rulemaking or, or basically a data collection where they're trying to get a, a, a look at the landscape of treated seeds. Uh, what are the stewardship practices, things like that, uh, before making decision. We've, we are submitting letters with CropLife America, American Seed Trade Association, others are growers as well, uh, urging them to maintain the, it's called, a, it's an exemption under FIFRA. Uh, the, the treated seeds are ex excluded uh, under that FIFRA treated article exemption is what it's called. Um, and we've laid out the case legally, why that should remain the case and, and all the benefits, the stewardship benefits of treating the seeds on the front end with these, with pesticides 
are, are beneficial to not only um, production agriculture, but also to the environment. Um, and so that's uh, where the, the comment period closes February 12th. Uh, so it'll take EPA some time to sift through those comments and come out with any kind of recommendations. We're hopeful they maintain the exemption in place. And on the chlorpyrifos, EPA did issue some clarification related to the sale of chlorpyrifos. The Eighth Circuit late last year had, uh, had ruled against EPA when they tried to do a zero food tolerance. Another law outside of FIFRA to um, disallow the use of any chlorpyrifos products for food use. And so that Eighth Circuit vacated that EPA decision um, because they didn't follow the science and data. So uh, EPA still plans to move forward to um, get rid of the number of those chlorpyrifos products. But then in the interim, if anybody has currently labeled product, that's uh, labeled under FIFRA and, and, and in the distribution channel, they were able to use that product. Um, and so we're, we're continuing to monitor that as well. So all of this comes out to uh, a lot of litigation. So uh, I'm an attorney, but uh, I tell you this, attorneys are the only ones, the winners in this and the consumers in American agriculture are the losers in all these lawsuits. Except for the chlorpyrifos case, of course. So, Richard, the other thing we should get an update on is the farm bill. I just heard an update from Jim Wiesmeyer, who's a policy analyst, and he said he's seeing activity and signals that are much more alike the early stages of writing a farm bill than where we probably should be now. But how do you see things coming together for the farm bill and what does the future hold? Yeah, well, they've, they've had to kind of kick the can down the road. They passed a one-year extension uh, last year as part of their continued resolution or funding bill to fund the government. So they this should have been taken care of last year if you follow the schedule of a five-year farm bill. Um, it's been extended uh, till September of this year. So we're pushing hard as part of to get a five-year farm bill done to have some certainty for the agricultural sector uh, and on the safety net programs that are in place to help um, – agricultural economy, whether that's crop insurance, conservation programs. And another key part of that uh, certainty is we are pushing the uh, NPDES pesticide general permit elimination, other reforms on pesticides in the bill that would make sure that decision-making remains at EPA and the state lead agency on some of these things, as, as well as the uniformity of labels on pesticides. And uh our understanding is if, if uh, again, both committees are working on language uh, that the House may take this up is sometime in March. Um, but they're all dealing with, again, trying to make sure they can fund the government through the end of September. Um, and also these uh, just some small matters dealing with the border security, Ukraine and Israel. Uh, so they've got to see if they can resolve those issues as well, uh, in addition to getting this farm bill get done. Excellent. So Richard, you guys at ARA have an annual opportunity for members and ag retailers to join you in DC and do uh, some, some active uh, visits with our lawmakers to talk about the top issues for the industry. Let's talk a little bit about the ARA fly-in. Yeah, we have our, our winter board meeting and our legislative fly-in. So we'll have uh not only our board members, but a lot of other members are involved in our committees or, um, and urge other members that get involved. We work, a lot of state associations will also be uh, flying in as well. 
and this opportunity to engage not only the federal regulators like an EPA or Department of Transportation um, or others, but also to visit with their members of Congress and legislative staff to talk about a lot of these issues we've mentioned, uh, particularly the Farm Bill. That's uh, number one priority for us to get a five-year Farm Bill done this year. And uh, with the, some of the reforms we talked about, including with the technical service provider, uh, make sure certified crop advisors are right recognized under that. So if you're, you've got to be engaged with uh, your members of Congress and their staff to help uh, shape the, their decisions that they're making, because they're making decisions every day on some major policies that directly impact not only our ag retail members, but their farmer customers and their rural communities. So we urge all our members to sign up, register, attend this fly-in, get engaged with their lawmakers. And that's just one step. They have their district offices and staff back in the states as well, where they can continue being engaged with them, make sure they have a full understanding and knowledge about the importance our industry plays uh, as far as the role within the agricultural economy and, and within their community. So uh, it's March 4th through the 6th. Um, so you can still sign up. You go to ARADC.org to get all the information about the fly-in, and we encourage as many as possible uh, Hunter Carpenter is also part of the policy team that I know you've talked with many times. Uh, and so we're in the process of uh, scheduling the Hill visits for all our members. And uh, it's all a full day. Uh, have a reception that evening on, on Tuesday, March 5th. And so it's uh, it's always a worthwhile endeavor and, uh, and great to be engaged with the, the decisions making here in Washington. Absolutely, Richard. And you talk about how Ag retailers can engage with their legislators and representation in D.C. You guys also have your facilities visit guide, which I know members find great value in on how they can host folks even at their sites and their locations to show how they do business. Richard, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, it's always uh, great to catch up with you. Excellent. So if folks want to learn more about how they can get involved and what ARA is advocating for, you can go to ARADC.org. Until we are back on the podcast, I'm editor of The Scoop, Margie Echelkamp. Thank you so much for joining us. Go ahead, hit the follow and subscribe button in your favorite podcast player. And if you're listening to this episode on the web, go ahead and open that podcast player, search Farm Journal The Scoop, you'll find us. And then that way, you will have all of the latest episodes delivered directly to you. Until we are back on the podcast, I wish everyone a safe and productive season. Hey, Peter. That's me, just an ordinary guy. Listen, quick favor. At least I used to be before Spherex fungicide. With two active ingredients, it gave me power to defeat Dawn. Now... When you're done thwarting evil, you mind getting my cat out of that tree? Everyone thinks I'm some kind of superhero. And I thought I heard a runaway train earlier. So I get a lot of save them and fix that and, of course, epic hero montages. But hey, for wheat and barley quality, I'll do what it takes to save the season. Spherex Fungicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions.